he wouldn't recognize it. <clears throat> uh, if you have your Bible today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So you can go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 15, and we'll be in verses 11 through 32. Luke chapter 15. Um, this, this parable has been called the parable of the prodigal son, probably is how most of you know it. Sometimes it's called the parable of the lost son. Sometimes it's called the parable of the gracious father. And Jesus didn't give it a name, so we'll just let it be nameless. Um, I'm going to call it the parable of the lost son today. So whatever it is, uh, let's read it and let's understand it together. So start in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to him, to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years... I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life 
He was lost, but now he is found. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, not just to hear these words that are probably very familiar to us, God, but that you would give us minds to understand what it is you're trying to teach us, not us as a people, but us individually, God. God, and more than that, God, may we have hearts this morning as we understand in our mind what it is you're trying to teach us, God, that we would respond with hearts of faith, God. We would be thankful to you for how you have brought us from death to life and then also repent of ways that we are not extending grace to those on the outside, God. God, give us ears to hear and hearts of faith this morning, God. We love you and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So if you, um, if you notice, this parable fits within the context of, of three parables in Luke chapter 15. Um, there's three parables about three lost things. The first lost thing is a coin, uh, sorry, a sheep. Uh, the second lost thing is a coin. And then we have a parable of a lost son. Uh, if you aren't familiar with parables, and probably many of you are in here, but let me explain a little bit. A parable is a completely made up story. Jesus didn't see this happen to somebody. He made up this story. And he made up this story to teach one point, to address a very particular situation. So it was, it, many people use stories um, to do this. And typically, uh, the main point of a parable is at the end. Just like when we tell a joke, you don't give the punchline at the beginning. Well, some people do, but they're terrible uh, joke tellers, right? You don't give the punchline right at the beginning. You build up and you build up and you build up and then... Boom, you drop the, the truth bomb, all right? That's, what, that's how a parable works. So the, the parable is like that. And Jesus is addressing this very particular situation. Um, Jesus is confronting uh, the attitude of the religious leaders of his day. And we see that in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. And I'll read it. I think it'll be on the screen. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love how this translation puts that. <laughs> Other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, the, the religious leaders, these are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and re- teachers of religious law. They're, they're the leaders. They're the most pious. They're the, they're the greatest Jews at this time. And they are so upset with Jesus that he would spend his time associating with these notorious sinners, right? And, and not only that, he was eating with them, the highest form of friendship and, and acceptance. But we know, we just sang it. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? He didn't come to, to build up this little group of in, well-behaved insiders. See, Jesus came to reach those on the outside, those who weren't part of the clique, those who weren't part of the establishment, right? Jesus came to seek and to save those on the outside. And that, those people that are lost include both the religious elite and those notorious sinners. And so Jesus is going to use these parables to teach them that the kingdom of God is not about this insider's club, right? It's not about that. It's about reaching the outsiders. And so the first parable is about a lost sheep, right? You probably remember this. A man has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. One of them strays away. And it, and it says that he left all 99 and he went to find the one. He, he pursued it and he found it and he picked it up and he carried it back with him. And when he got back, he told all his friends and they had a celebration. 
And, and Jesus says this in Luke 15, verse 7. He says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And so what we see from this is that God loves that one as much as he loves all of them. His love is not differentiated. He loves the outsider as much as he loves the insider, right? And it says that he will go great distances. He will pursue people when they're far from him. And he will go find them and he will bring them back to himself. And that is worth celebrating, right? That's something to be joyous about. That's not something to be frustrated at like the religious leaders. And so Jesus is throwing them under the bus. He's saying, why are you so upset when one sinner repents? Why are you upset that I'm with them? Doesn't it make sense that I would be with them? See, the kingdom of God is not about this insider's club. It's about reaching those on the outside. And the second parable is about a lost coin. A woman, it's very short, just a couple of verses. A woman has ten silver coins, and she loses one in her house. And so what does she do? She, she moves the furniture. She sweeps. She cleans. She looks everywhere. I mean, anybody lost a wallet recently? That's such a nuisance. You do anything to go find that wallet so you don't have to change all those things. And this woman, she, she goes to all these links to find it, and she finds that coin, and they celebrate. So we see very similar themes. Jesus is not just about the nine or the 99. He's about that one that's far from it. And so in our parable of interest today, we see very similar themes because Jesus is addressing these religious leaders. So our, our parable today, two sons, right? We've got a younger son, an older son. And we've got a father. The younger son is, is the rebellious, wild one, um, just like in my family. And the older son is the, uh, is the, the one, the goody two-shoes, if you will, right? Just, I mean, look. Today, Jesus is preaching to the older son. So he's preaching to me. He's, he's speaking to the religious leaders, the one who didn't go live wild, but the one, not that my brother went and lived wild. That's not what I'm saying. Um, so let's, let's read it and let's explain it as we go. So we'll start in verse 11 again. Uh, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. And so what, what we talked about already, the, the point of a parable is at the end, right? And so we know that this story really isn't about the younger son. The story, I mean, he's part of it. There's, there's something to be learned from him. But really, Jesus is addressing us as the older son. It says there's two sons. And so we can't just stop. It's about the differences and the contrast between those two. Verse 12. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So in this day and age, um, very different. In, in their day and age, very different than ours. Uh, the, the older son would get a double portion of the inheritance as, as the rest of the sons. Now, in, in my family, that's like $4 versus $2, right? Um, but he would get a double portion. So if there's two sons, the older son would get two-thirds and the younger son would get one-third, right? And so, but it wasn't normal, and nor is it normal today, for that inheritance to pass on until the, the father died, right? And so when this younger son, I mean, don't don't let this just fall on deaf ears. But when he says, I want my portion of the inheritance now, he's basically spitting in his father's face. He's basically saying, I wish you were dead because I just want your stuff. 
I don't want to have a relationship with you. I just, I just want the stuff that you can give me. And that is the ultimate dishonoring of a father, right? If we're commanded to honor our father and mother, this is, this is absolute sin. Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So I don't, I, don't, I don't know why the father decides, okay, you can have this third. Um, Jesus made up this story, so Jesus can tell it however he wants, right? But the father gives him his portion. He leaves and he goes off. And it says he goes to a distant land, right? And so what we see about this younger son already, he's got a dysfunctional relationship with his father, right? His earthly father. But there's a, this distant land means he went off to a non-God-fearing place. So he's got, he's, got, he's got daddy issues here, and he's got daddy issues here. He, he, he's not right with God because he wants to go to a place where God isn't even there. It says he, he wasted all his stuff in wild living. Yours may say living recklessly, and we don't, we don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us what all that was, but you can fill in the blanks with how he lived. Verse 14. About this time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. So it's not probably by coincidence in Jesus' story. Of course, Jesus is telling the story so he can tell it however he wants. It's not by coincidence that after he's wasted his money, there's a famine, right? This young man is in the most desperate of situations. He's in a distant land. He's not near his family where he can get support. And he doesn't have any resources. And so he is in a destitute situation, right? So he begs for work. And the only work that he can find is feeding pigs. Now, for a Jew, you know this, right? For a Jew to, to eat a pig was culturally, religiously, completely unacceptable, right? But to work with them, to feed them and, and provide them so you can sell them to others, that was just as bad. So he is in a very godless place. He is in the pits. He is in the pigsty. It says he was so desperate that he even longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating. This is the, the lowest of the low, right? This is his, his worst moment of his life. And we, let's pause the story there for a second. This is often what it takes for God to draw us back to himself. When people have run far from God and chased a life that's way far from his ways, what does it often take to bring them back? It takes the lowest of the low. It takes losing everything. It takes some tragedy. It takes some desperate situation. Because in that moment, the only thing you have is to look up. It's, it's God, where are you? God, where are you? And this is many of you in here's testimony, right? That you didn't find God when your business was booming and your family was well and everything was going right in your family, right? Very few people, that's the situation. Because we talked about it in life group this morning. Our stuff can so cloud out God. Our, we, don't have, we don't have any worries. We can do everything on our own. But when we're in that deep, dark place, just like this sun God uses that. So some of you may find yourself there 
today or in this season of life that you're in a dark place and you're thinking, God, where are you? What is the purpose in all this? And to be honest, that's often when God speaks to us the most. That's often when God is able to draw us to himself. Because we don't have anything else clouding it out. And this young man finds himself there. Verse 17. It says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, I'm a son, and I'm dying of hunger. You, you can picture him, right? You can picture him sitting on a fence or a, a log and, and staring at these sheep and thinking about them and thinking about his past life and thinking, I'm so hungry I would eat what they're eating. But my father, even the lowest of the servants back home, there's always food enough to spare. It says he came to his senses. This, um, this came to his senses is a, is a Hebrew expression it basically means repented, what we would translate repented in a lot of situations. He repented. He, this means he had a change of mind. He, he, th- he thought about, this is my current situation, and that was my past situation. It says he had a change of mind about what was best for him. Because he thought, he thought what was best was, let me get a third of my dad's stuff, and let me go live however I want. But that quickly led to this deep, dark place. It says... He finally had a change of mind. He had a moral renewal that the way he was living wasn't the way to life, but the way he used to live with his father was. And so he was thinking, and as he was reminded of the benefits of a relationship with his father, that's when he repented. And this is the way our lives work too. This is the way repentance works in our life. You see, we finally come to this place and we say, this this sin, this, this way of life just isn't working for me. It's not, it's not enough. And if we are reminded of that God's way is best, and we're convinced that that's true, that's when we'll repent, right? See, I don't think anybody repents because they think, ooh, this sin, is, this sin is great, but that, following God, that's hard, that's worse. So let me repent. Nobody does that. We only repent if we believe that God's way is better, right? We only turn from our old ways to the new ways if we believe that God offers life and this leads to death, right? So that's what he does. He says he had a change of mind. He came to his senses. So he hatches a plan. Verse 18. He says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he finally comes to this place. He's very humbled. At the beginning, he's brash enough to say, let me have a third of your stuff. I wish you were dead. I'd rather have your stuff than a relationship with you. But he comes to this place where he realizes, I'm not even worthy to be called that man's son. I've sinned against both God and I've sinned against you. So he hatches this plan. He he says, I've got to go back. I've got to go back to where I was because he knows that it will be better than the current situation. He's, he's really been humbled, hasn't he? Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And that takes, takes a lot. It takes a lot of trust in your father to come back after you really messed up. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son 
embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And just, just as in the Gospels when it says that Jesus looked out over the crowds, when he saw the people, he didn't look at them and think, you're a bunch of needy fools. <laughs> he didn't look at them and think, man, you guys just don't get it, and I'm tired of you. No, that's not what, that's not what the Scripture says. It says when Jesus looked out over the crowds, the lost, the, the outsiders, he says his heart was filled with compassion. His heart was filled with love for them. His, his insides were moved for them. And that's, that's, that's how it says this father reacted. He, he very well could have looked at this son. I mean, many, some of you may have had a son that's lived like this and has come back. And, and I, I don't, I'm not a dad yet. But when I think it would be easy to think, you know what? You got what was coming for you, son. You know what? You made that decision. But to be filled with love and compassion is a heart that we may not always have towards somebody who has strayed so far. And so it says that his father was filled with compassion and he ran to him. Now normally grown men, and I guess in our day too, grown men don't run very often. Um, some, of, some of us are just fat and we can't run. Some of us it's just not respectable, right, to, to run. But it says the father ran to him. Jesus had the father run to his son in order to show God's love, his joy, and his eagerness to receive his son back. You see, we should so clearly see that we don't, I don't know that we talk about the eagerness of God. We should see that God is eager to receive us back. When we've sinned, when we've messed up, when we've strayed far from Him, God is not a, a father waiting to, to discipline. He's not a father waiting to say, you knew it, you shouldn't have done that. No, it says He's eager to receive us back. He's eager to bring us back into relationship. You see, I, don't, I think we think this sometimes, that God is waiting for us to just clean up ourselves, get our lives right, to, to have all of our ducks in a row, right? But that's not God. God is, God is eager to receive us right as we are. Sing the song, Just As I Am. He's not saying, go clean yourself up, go get all your ducks in a row before you come back to me. He says, no, I want you just as you are. Pig filth and all, Right? You see, I've heard it said this way. A true Christian doesn't run from God when they've sinned. We don't run from God because we're ashamed. No, we run to God because we know that He loves us. And He's eager to receive us back if we are humble enough to admit that we haven't done right. Verse 22. But His Father said to His servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on Him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now his, he is found. And so the party began. So I don't know how you think you would react, but this is what he says. He's, he commands his servants, go get a robe, go get a, a ring and a sandals. These were not everyday garments that they wore. These were reserved for the most honored of guests. Remember his plan was, I just want to come back and just let me be the lowest of servants. He says, nope, get a ring, get a sandals, get a robe for him. Not only that, they, they kill the fattened calf and they have a banquet, they have a celebration. And this just shows again how much the father accepts the son, how much he wants him to be back in the house. 
Why do they celebrate? Because that son was considered dead. When he left, they didn't know if they would ever see him again. But he's, he went from dead to alive. He went from lost to found, and that's worth celebrating. You see, I think this is how a true Christian repents, right? Is that we come and God, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be called one of your sons. Just let me, just let me be a servant. I just want to be near you. But instead, that's not what God does, right? He's, he takes us who, who deserve to be his enemies, deserve to be pushed to death. But he says, no, I'm going to make you a son and a daughter. I'm going to adopt you back into my family. And you're going to have all the privileges attached with being that, right? You see, he, this is grace. This is the definition in a story of grace. That that son didn't deserve to be welcomed back into that family. But he says, no, look, you come back. You be a son. And we're the same way. We don't, we don't deserve. A true Christian knows. We don't deserve to be in the family of God. We don't deserve anything. But God gives more grace because he loves us. And he wants us to be in his family. And you see, there is great celebration in God's kingdom every time this happens. Now, this would make a nice little end to the story. And you may think, oh, that's a good little wrapping up place, Byron. But remember, this is about two sons. And really, the first son is just to set up the reaction to the second son. So, let's read on. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was working in the fields. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. I'm thinking if anybody knew that there was going to be a celebration, the oldest son would know. He would know if a banquet was coming or this. But he, he comes out of the field and he hears a party going on. And he thinks, no one told me. So he asks, what happens? What, why are we celebrating? And a servant tells him, his brother has come back safe. He, his safe return. And that safe return means, it kind of has a double meaning here. It means that he is physically safe. We thought he was dead, but he's alive. He's with us physically. But it also means a spiritual safeness. That he's admitted that he is broken and sick and, and he needs a savior, right? It, he, it, there's this spiritual renewal to it. And so I don't know. I don't know if you've never heard the story before. If you read this with fresh ears, you would think... Okay, the brother's about to do the same thing that the father just did. The father picked up his robe and ran and embraced him and welcomed him back. He was eager to receive him, right? But that's not how the brother responds. He responds very much like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Verse 28. The older brother was angry. I mean, think about that. He says, your brother is alive. Your brother is right with God. And he's angry? The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. But the older son replied, All these years, I've, I've slaved for you. And never once did I refuse to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money, a third of our entire wealth on prostitutes, 
you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Some of you may agree with the brother. You may think, he didn't deserve that. And this brother is indignant. He's appalled. He's, he's angry that the father would, would welcome the younger son back like this. And, and with such celebration. See, he's mad that the father extended grace. I can probably remember times as a, as, a, as a son of my dad when dad extended grace to a kid. And I thought, I didn't get grace in that situation. I got the paddle. This is different. He, he doesn't think that his brother deserves grace at all. He wants his brother to get what's rightly coming to him. And it, but what does he believe about himself? He believes he deserves so much, right? Why? Because I've been with you all this time. Because I've done what you've said and you never even let me celebrate a little bit. You see, but he'd forgotten how much grace he had received. Did, did he choose to be born first in that family? No. Did he even choose to be born? No. Did, did the father have to take care of him? No. He had received so much grace. But he didn't think that his younger brother deserved any. See, he had come to believe that he had worked his way into that family because of all the good things that he had done. And the, and the younger son had worked his way out of the family. But that's not true. You see, and the, the religious leaders of his day were the exact same. They looked at Jesus and they looked at notorious sinners, as we read. They looked at people who were known for their sin. <laughs> Imagine that being defined by your sin. I don't, I don't think many of us would want to be known in public by our sin, but these, are, these notorious sinners were people that were known by their sin. And he's like, they, they don't deserve grace. They're notorious sinners. How dare you give them the same rights and privileges as me? And Jesus says, you don't get it. You don't get it. That's not how grace works. No one deserves it. None of us in here deserve grace. That's, that's against the definition of grace. Grace is something that we get undeservedly unmerited favor from God. Not because of anything we have done, but because he, choose, he freely chooses to give it. And this older brother is mad. Why would you be so gracious to him? Verse 31. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. See, just as the father in the story is, is appealing to his, his, his oldest son, he's saying, look, come on, you're missing the point. Our, our, our son is alive. He's well. Things are good. Like, this is time to celebrate. This is not time to be mad. Jesus is doing the same thing to the religious leaders listening that day. And, to be, and we should be being appealed to as well. See, he's begging them, come be a part of the joy and the celebration and the grace of the kingdom of God. Don't be, don't be angry that someone else has entered our family. Don't be upset that that person received grace. No, that should cause so much joy in you. And that's how the story ends. That's, it's just... It's just kind of left hanging, right? I mean, because I think a lot of you, and, and I asked this too when I was studying it, how does the, what does the older brother do? 
What, is, what does he do? We don't know. We don't know because Jesus doesn't tell us. Um, does, does he have a... We don't know if he changes his heart. Does he have a, a come-to-his-senses moment of repentance? And does he go, you know what? You're right. Let me go welcome my brother back. We don't know if he does that. We don't know if he hardens his heart even further and says, you know what? I'm having nothing to do with my brother. We, we don't know how he responds. And in the same way, we don't know how the religious leaders of that day respond either, do we? We know that, we know that most of them continue to not hear what Jesus has to say. Why? Because they continue to pursue after him and try to kill him because of the things that he says. But I have to believe that some that day heard Jesus' message and thought, you know what, you're right. Why am I so mad that God is saving people? Why am I so upset that God's extending grace? See, but really those aren't even the most important issues for us. The issue is the story was left hanging for a reason. Because it's meant to expose us and our attitude toward those on the outside. Toward those that don't know Jesus. Towards those that are notorious sinners. And the question for us is how do we respond? So let's, let's first, let's address us as younger son, right? Are, are we, <laughs> we could raise hands in here, we're not going to. We probably identify with either one or the other, right? We probably identify more with the younger son or the older son, right? But if we're the younger son, are we, are we currently running from God? Are we currently more interested in what God can give us than a relationship with Him? Do we really just want His stuff and the blessings from God? Or do we really want to submit our lives to Him and say, you know what, I'm not even worthy to be called your son are we actively running from him, actively trying to get away from him, thinking that we know what's best for our lives? If that's you today, the response today is to repent. It's to have this change of mind, this come to your senses moment where you realize, you know what? I'm just like the younger son. I've said I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Ba- I've basically wished God dead. And, and let me persuade you today one time that what's best for you is not to pursue your own path, to to do what you think is best, to go to chase your wildest dreams. No, what's best for you is to be near to God, is to be near to your Father, to have a relationship with Him. And, And you won't repent unless you believe that fully, unless you believe that your path is leading down a road of destruction and that God's path is leading down a road to life. No matter how far you've strayed, if you're the younger brother today, no matter how far you've gone, your loving, gracious Father is eager to receive you back. He wants you to be in relationship with Him. So I don't think that we probably have a lot of of the younger sons in here. I know we have some. I think probably more of us, and maybe this is just because this is me, I identify with the older son, the one who stayed, the one who's been there, the one who's not necessarily done anything while like begging your father to die and taking all his money. So what is our attitude? What is my attitude to those who are not Christians? Do we, do we even have a heart for them? Do we even have a heart for them to experience the grace and the love that we've received? Is that even something that's in us? Or are we so hardened our hearts to think it's really just about us? It's really just about this insider's club? Do we think that, do we write some people off? We think, ah, it's too far gone. 
God's grace can't intervene in that person's life. Do we do that? Do we not want them in our groups because it's harder to love them, harder to welcome them? Do we even have relationships with those not inside the family of God, but with notorious sinners? See, our desire should be that even the most dead, even the most notorious of sinners would come to experience the grace that we've received, to come experience the the blessing of being with the Father. And so the response today for us is to also repent. It's to have this change of mind, this come to your senses moment where you realize, you know what? I've looked at that person the wrong way my whole life. I thought there's no way God could do anything with them. But the response today is to repent of that, to believe that God can save anybody and to rejoice when God does, to come around them, support them, help them become more like Christ. Can't be like the older brother and not show grace. So what this really all comes down to is the gospel, a very simple gospel message. You see, what, it, what we realize is this, is that just like the younger son, we are not worthy of being called a son or a daughter. See, we, we rejected God. We sinned against God. And we pushed him away, and we, we basically said, you know what, I know what's best. I, I, I want some of your stuff, but I don't really want to be with you. That's what we've done, too. See, we've rejected relationship with him, thinking that we know what's best. But it says that God so loved us. And different than the story, it says that he came after us. He, he sent his own son after us while we were in the middle of that pig pit, right? In the middle of our sin and rejecting the Father. He says he came after us. And the cost of doing that, he took on himself. He didn't wait for us to figure it out, how to get back to him. No, he, he took that cost himself. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He took the sin that we deserved, the, the right uh, consequences that we deserved. See, we deserve death because of our action against our father. But it says, no, I'll, I'll send my son. Let him take that for you so you can come back and be in relationship with me. You don't have to be a slave any longer. You don't have to be a servant any longer. I want you to come and be a son or a daughter. And if we believe that Jesus really is that only way to relationship with the Father, then we're welcome back. And the party begins, right? We're welcome back into the family. Grace is shown. We're accepted. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but that is the greatest news that's ever been proclaimed. We didn't deserve it. None of us in here. But God freely gave grace to us. Let me pray. God, we are so thankful to you. Um, God, that you would love us in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our sin. God, you didn't wait for, for me to, to get my life together, to clean myself up. God, but you came and chased me down right where I was, and you saved me. God, and you've done that for so many in this room, God. And we pray that you would continue to do that for those in our town, those in our families, those in our lives who are notorious sinners, God. We, we want them to experience the grace and the love that we've received, God. And so we pray that you would do that. God, we, we pray that we would be convicted where we are not actively working towards that, God. God, let us hear this message and not just go, oh yeah, parable of the prodigal son. God, may we hear it and respond in repentance. God, may we have a come to our senses moment. 
Lord, we're thankful to you for salvation, and we freely go and proclaim that to others, God. We love you. We thank you for the truth of your word, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.